This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zoopans. Where you're going to find uh, a new product, which is exciting to me, coming from the Northeast. Mm-hmm. They've got some private label, 100% pure organic maple syrup in their stores now. I've seen it. I saw it the other day. Didn't get any, but now I will. I love because pancakes. I can convince myself in this kind of advertising. To yes. Do that. No, I love pancakes so much. When I when I saw this, I actually got really really excited because I love pancakes and I love natural maple syrup. Right. Oh, this is going to be good. Yeah. <laughs> Other thing uh, I'm really excited about and continuing to love is the strawberry season in full swing. Sweet Hood strawberry varieties are now in store. And they get theirs delivered fresh daily from Columbia Farms, which is on Sylvie Island. I was out there yesterday, yeah. And we picked we picked Father's Day a lot of strawberries, uh-huh. incredible a lot of a lot of strawberries, yeah. And to have them be able to just go down there and get them at Zupans, they are delicious. Yeah. Get them now. You can also get fresh figs, local cherries. They arrived just last weekend. So if you're into like fresh produce, this is the place to go. Zupans. It's the time. And also, as we've said before, sign up for their news. Feed. It's news with a Z. Right, because they have uh, some excellent offers, um, often two-for-ones, mm-hmm. free stuff, and just good to get emails from them. And, you know, the other thing, I was in Zupan's the other day. They have some beautiful plates and things. Oh, so yeah. if you're throwing parties now, this is it's not just food at Zupan's. There are a lot of things. And I put together a beautiful Mother's Day gift for somebody with lots of candles. Yeah. Zupan's, the oldest locally owned grocery store Mm-hmm. In Portland since 1975. This is a Restretto Classic edition of Right at the Fork, where we go back into the archives and showcase some of the episodes that people might have missed. Because uh, you've been pointing this out for some time, Chris, that a lot of people going back and checking out past episodes of Right at the Fork. I love that it's a it's now a binge experience for a lot of people. Yeah. And what's better than binging than with maybe a nice cup of coffee? There you go. Yeah. You hit, you hit the nail on the head. Mm-hmm. It's a perfect thing to do, and that's why Restretto Roasters has... Uh, been uh, so kind as to support not only the podcast, but uh, some of the great people in the food world Yep, by uh, sponsoring or supporting these Ristretto Roasters Classics. There are five locations in the uh, metro area of de- here in Portland, and my favorite is actually the one one of their newest. Actually, I think it is their newest, which is the one in the old Oregonian building. Right. Because like, if I'm having a, like, if I need a private moment with somebody here at work, I'm like, hey. Let's go to Ristretto. Perfect environment. It's beautiful in there, and the coffee is just delicious. So the the drama goes down at uh, at Ristretto for you. Well, just, just just leaving leaving the work environment is always a positive, but leaving a work environment and then going into the gorgeous environment that Ristretto sets up for you to enjoy coffee, even better. Yeah, they got the whole thing going on. I've been going to all of a sudden the Coin Center location, yeah. which is on my way in here. I'll stop, and uh, they have. Beautiful bags of roasted coffee, and I've been enjoying those. And uh, it's a nice spot to sit and hang. Absolutely. Any, any of the five locations, and the people are really nice. Mm-hmm. Too. Absolutely. Speaking of nice, when uh, Jason French came in, when we originally spoke with him, that was a great conversation. It's always a great conversation with Jason. Yeah. He was, as a matter of fact, um, years ago, he was one of the guys I had first spoken with uh, when I got to know a chef or two. Yeah. And got me excited about the Portland whole food world. Mm-hmm. And Jason, nobody embodies the Portland food world the way Jason does. And you'll probably hear me say it in this episode. But at the time, I had been writing for a magazine, and I referred to Jason as I think a, the proper em, the proper ambassador uh, to mm-hmm. represent Portland to the rest of the world when it comes to food. And one of the things that we find out about him is he had a very interesting life getting here from Maine to D.C. area, uh, Colorado. But uh, I don't don't know if we've had another chef in Portland who has spent time in the White House. And so those scenes... Not that I know of. Yeah, those those descriptions from his childhood are... um, are those that we thought were pretty interesting, not to mention his career and what he's accomplished now at Ned Ludd and Elder Hall. So, Jason French. 
When was the last time you ate in a subway? I'm just curious. If you did. Uh, the last time I ate in a subway was in 2002. Wow, you got the in year Maryland. down. Yeah, I was, a, I was a, taking care of my dad, nursing him back to health, and um, we moved him up to D.C. And, uh, yeah, I just had a hankering for a foot-long sub, and I was like, man, there's the subway one block away. Tuna. I got the tuna salad. Spectacular. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I often see them all over the place and wonder how they do. But, you know, there's no, there, there are a couple of downtown. But. Well, they bake their own bread. So they got that going for him. Yeah, I guess so. No, I don't. It's part but of the sandwich the meat, revolution. I, I don't want to get into a potential problem here, but I actually once went to a subway, um, and the roast beef was green. Yes. And I said, "What's the deal with this roast beef?" And he said, "Well, that's the way they get it. It's perfectly fine." <laughs> it's, super, it's fresh. He was fresh. swearing. He was swearing on the subway Bible that that green roast beef was fine. Grass that happens beef. to be the last. <laughs> right. right. It, <laughs> It happens to be the last time I ever stepped foot in a subway and probably will be. But someday I may be hungry enough. Who knows? So um, I was thinking this morning on the way in, Jason Francis Francais. Has anybody ever called you that? You've got a, no, that's the first. Yeah, Jason Francis Francais. Um, I'm going to, yeah, Frank French is the, the next iteration, I think. Right. It's F R A and C. Just to still give homage to. The oh, Francis, that's good. The I like it. But both of them are good. <laughs> But it's good to have you here. It really Thanks. is. Good to be here. You know, yeah. I uh, years ago I wrote in an interview about a uh, in about face, and I just revisited that. Mm-hmm. I don't know when was the last time you re- did you read it? Oh yeah, of course I have it. Um, but I said that uh, right off the top that if Portland was going to have an ambassador, a food ambassador, you would be that guy. Thank you. Um, Do I get like a cape and like a medallion that I get to wear? No, but like, you have the bike. You know, you've yeah, got yeah, the I'm whole the, thing. Everything co- the comes along with the territory. <laughs> but you know, from the first time I met you at uh, at Ned Ludd at lunch, I think I was there with yep. a friend. We came a couple of times. Um, you just it, you really capture not just you, but you because you're so passionate about it. Everything has blossomed, right? It doesn't blossom. Things don't blossom if you're not passionate about what you do and it's not real, right? You're not yes. you're not in a back corporate room trying to figure out how to how to make money and do this. You're basically every the 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 passion and the love and the cooking comes first and the money hopefully comes. Yeah. After. Well, I mean, I think, you know, definitely that is true. I think um when people have spoken about Ned Ludd, it's like, you know, they're like, "Oh, well, what is it?" and it's, you know, it's not a concept. It's not like we sat around like what's going to be the most lucrative restaurant concept in Portland. Um and so it's become we now kind of jokingly refer to it as my art project or my passion. Mm-hmm. It's a passion project and and the the project was basically the desire to want to open a restaurant that started very young and then grew and matured into wanting to open a restaurant and then was challenged, you know, mid, mid two thousands. Once, you know, if you pay attention to any news globally, it was, things were starting to not look good around, um, Oh six. And, uh, so by the time we opened, um, it, we opened because some, <laughs> because someone's like, there's this place, you should check it out. I went, I checked it out. <laughs> I said, cool. What's the deal? And they said, sign the lease. And I said, cool, I guess I have a restaurant now. Um, so it, it you know, it was sort of backed into it, but then, like a lot of good projects, it started with a very general format and then has grown into lots of specifics and developed and matured and take, you know, kind of restaurants are interesting too. I always think like the good ones take on kind of a life of their own. They're, mm-hmm. they're an organism where you t- put tons of passion and energy and people into it. And if people enjoy them, um, especially there's a really beautiful kind of thing that happens, the reciprocation of sort of putting a ton of energy and effort into a restaurant and then the people who are enthusiastic and excited about that effort and and that 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 sort of builds the feeling of a restaurant. And that that is not only there there are two places for that probably more. But your employees, the people who work for you, sure. they're they're your family <clears throat> and they're all very most of them that I've known are love you and they're having they're having a good time. They're doing what they really enjoy. Yeah. Which happens at a lot of restaurants in Portland, but yeah. at, at Ned Ludd, you go in there and it's like it, really feels like welcome to my home sure and that's yeah or your grandma's home (laughs) yeah well that's kind (laughs) of i haven't seen my grandmother in there how how would how would your grandmother like ned ludd 
Uh, she would love it. She would complain that the soup wasn't hot enough, probably, but she complained about that incessantly. That was like just the thing you could rely on. Um, she would she would really enjoy it. She was Hungarian. She loved food and uh, oh, we share a little common yeah, background, a little there. common gen- genome. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, she was uh, a very influential. Not just like mostly her determination, like her spe- her story was incredible, and the fact that she was who she was and did the, did life the way that she did it was really cool and. Um, but yeah, I mean, when, when we opened Ned Ludd, it was about, uh, kind of like the grandmother's cooking. Number one, we made it super comforting, um, and, uh, affordable because we opened a recession. Right. And the uh, decor looks like it and might And the be... decor is, yeah, it's like a little tchotchkes here and there and things that, you know, collected over a longer period of time than, than it's taken. But so I wanted to go back to get to know you a little better through your childhood. Okay. So your grandmother, was she a big part of it? This was all in Maine? She, correct? no. Okay, so the, um, I'm, I'm, you know, I kind of generally say East Coast. So uh, born and raised in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. Uh, was kind of a, a political brat um, uh, with my brother and I. And we lived outside of D.C. in Chevy Chase. Um, went to Catholic school. And um, that was kind of like one through, first through sixth grade. Um, you know, D.C. from birth to kind of like sixth grade. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, running around the White House on the weekends. I was my my mom worked as a uh, Rosalind Carter's social secretary, and so oh, very cool. Yeah, it was. It was so you you as a kid a, you were in the White House. Yeah, kind of. I yeah. mean, not where you have not where you take the tours, but you were you got we to were, go. Yeah, we were East Wing, not West Wing, and um, you know they have these beautiful long carpeted hallways going to the from the wings to the central part of the house, and I would sprint down those, and eventually Secret Service or. The White House security uh, details would grab me and tell me to go back the other way, or they'd take me up to the kitchen and get me some food. Or so it was, it was a surreal, surreal upbringing where you walk up to, you know, your class would take a Christmas tour, and you walk up to the gates, and there's the guard, like, "Oh, hey, Jason, how you doing?" Like, "Oh, hey, Rob, how are you?" And, and your classmates are all like, "Oh my God, he knows the guard at the White House." Um, and that was, you know, surreal. And then, but, but, you know. Uh, D.C., then we moved to Manhattan. My parents split up. My dad moved to Dallas, um, and my mom moved my brother and I to New York City, so we lived in Manhattan for four years. Um, and my brother left and went to boarding school, so I did junior high school there and then went to boarding school for two years in Connecticut. Where um, in Connecticut? Uh, Kent. Okay, Kent's, Kent School. Kent School for Boys and Girls. Yes. Um, and I lasted there two years. Uh, I was the only student, I think, in the history of the school to be on... Um, student council and academic probation at the same time. I did something like that <laughs> yeah. in my junior high school year. Yeah, most people I know who I'm friendly with kind of have similar <laughs> similar uh, stories coming up. Uh, and then we moved to Maine in um, about 84, oh, 80, okay. 84. That's later than I thought it was. Yeah, totally. I mean, I call it my formative years. I was just, you know, being a you know, little loose, you know, snotty-nosed kid. Well, on the, the Wikipedia, time. it would come under the White House years. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the formative, non-formative White House years. Right. He mostly just formed a, a sense of self-grandeur. Um, no, and then and then Maine was sort of where a lot of different parts and pieces all started to come together. And, and so growing up, and then this is very much informs kind of like the chef story, is, is we, my mother's family was from Texas, and she had a big family, and they were all very um, loud and opinionated and... Um, beautiful and funny and so we had these every family get together was sort of a really engaging um food fueled kind of adventure so we'd land in dallas and drive to joe t garcia's in fort worth and sit around a huge table and eat tons of tex-mex and then you know my grandmother cooked these huge dinners for us because we'd then go from dallas out to san angelo or go down to austin depending on who we were visiting and just the family whenever they got together um there's tons of just like raucous you know dinner table you know shenanigans and then my dad's family um, were all Dutch, German, Pennsylvania folk. And so um, so we would go to Pennsylvania. And it was kind of like city mice and country mice. My mom, you know, would grew up in West Texas. But once she got to D.C., she didn't really want to look back um, and, and consider herself quite urbane. And, and you know, so going to the country in, in Pennsylvania was not her idea, I think, of the, the, the best cup of tea. But the, the folks out there, my Uncle Harry in particular, was, I think, you know, he had like eight kids and at, by the end of it had like 40 great grandchildren. I mean, just sired this huge lot of beautiful people um, in Pennsylvania who were- Is lum- this Eastern Pennsylvania? Yeah. And so there are lumberjacks and mm-hmm. um, um, lumberjacks and farmers. And so he was a farmer. And so I'd, 
wake up with him in the morning and he'd, you know, make me oatmeal or cream of wheat and, um, and a cup of hot cocoa. And then we'd sit there and listen to the Ernest Angsley hour. And then we would get up and go harvest eggs and then we'd go feed the pigs. And then we, you know, he was just, he was this like, you know, bigger than life character and a really cool guy. But again, then we would eat supper and that was mostly like sloppy joes and hot dogs, you know, that kind of stuff. But it was always seated around the table and family members would come and go and there's always tons of food. And then we'd have family reunions where it was, you know, three tables of potato salad and all sorts of mayonnaise-based items sitting out in the hot sun for hours. Um, but, you know, we, uh, yeah, was, so like the food was always this weird center for me. And while my parents were not necessarily happy, the happiest moments for me as a kid were going out to dinner and dining and sort of the transportive quality of going out to dinner and being treated well and taken care of, essentially, I think is mostly what it was about. And so... Um, you know, I was the kid that instead of wanting to go to bowling or go to a movie for my birthday party, I'd want to go to Benihana's and sit around the table and let the guy, you know, whip up some. You have you been to the Benihana's out here? I have not. Is there I've, one? I was just yeah, wondering that the other day. Okay. I went for my, one of my birthdays. I don't remember what it was with my kids because it just seemed like the thing to do. Oh yeah. No, it's spectacular. Yeah. But it's not what you remember though. You know, there's so many things from when you're a kid. Sure. That, you know, when you see it from a kid's perspective, <clears> it's much different. Went from an adult perspective, especially when you're not taking a younger child, right? And you're dealing with the right. Um, but anyway, it's cool. I love what they did with the shrimp, the way they flipped it up in the air, and yeah, it on your plate. <laughs> it's really, and and I always wonder if they have little afterwards competitions amongst themselves, or oh, yeah. if they know he can't do the shrimp. No, Is there's it? totally like they have to train for that. You know, I'm you don't, sure. You, I'm don't, sure. you, you don't, don't just step in. Yeah, you don't use salt and pepper shakers like that and kick out a beat without training. I think um, you should start that at anybody you hire at Ned Ludd has to go through the salt and pepper shaker thing. Be kind of interesting anyway. So that that desire to go out, was that when you were I was like I'm, six, seven, eight. Oh, yeah. when you were yeah, younger. Really, yeah. So I this mean, was you know, DC, this was in Washington, yeah. DC. And my parents are not you know, we had a nice life always growing up. We were not What um, did your dad do? And uh, your he, mom, I should, he, what did they what did they do? So my uh well my dad's passed away, but he was um at the time in D C he was um basically like he was a go-between between the governor of Maryland and lobbyists. And okay, so he was kind of an assistant to Blair House. Lee. My mom was at the White House. My dad drove to Annapolis every morning. My mom drove down downtown. And we went to Catholic school. And then um, and then when my parents separated, my dad moved to Dallas and worked uh, just sort of in administrative with the Home Builders Association and worked with, you know, lobbyists there as well. Um, and then my, So you're a real political guy. I, mean, uh, I am. Are as you? Much are as you I, a, I don't <laughs> see, I, you know, I'm on your Facebook feed. I don't see much. The politics, well, it's a different its a different playing field these days. Politics are, you know, if someone was just like, oh, I hate politics. I was like, well, you can't hate them because it's in everything you do. It's in every choice you make. Um, so, you know, I'm like the most uh, conservative, liberal, <laughs> right-wing, whack-job, vegan lover you know. I mean, I just, it's, I'm, I don't reside in any party because, I mean, you, it's not that you grew up in polit- politics and you're more educated. I just grew up with tons of political conversations at the dinner table all the time and, you know, you form opinions and you think really intense thoughts about things. And then, you know, unlike politicians, a lot of times we get to change our minds. And over the years, I've changed my mind so often because of circumstance or, you know, whatever it may be. And and certainly I grew up, you know, uh, well off um, in the sense of just, you know, we were afforded lots of opportunities and travel. Um, but, you know, it's, it's I think, um, the, the world of politics has definitely changed. And so I try to like tiptoe on some things that I really believe in. Of course it's election day today. So right. how apt that we're having this conversation. Do but. you feel like you can make that you can make a difference? I think we're at the point where the big, big, not, not to get into a big political discussion here <laughs> because it, we could bring it. We could need the, <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, my son's 22 and my other one's 25, two yeah. different viewpoints, but I think, you know, one's passionate, uh, about GMOs and one, was made sure that we were all voting on that. And my other son is kind of, I don't know if I'm going to get my ballot in today. Right. And uh, I think think, I'm at the point with him where I don't want to push on anything. Sure. Well, and it's a weird, it's a weird landscape where, I mean, if you have the right to vote, because we can just, we can, anytime I sort of get really vehement about something, I'm like, okay, well, let's look at it from a global perspective. So, you know, when my kids don't want to eat the breakfast that I cooked them, I was just like, well, um, you're lucky to be getting breakfast because a lot of kids, you know, and I do the mm-hmm. whole and they're like, oh, dad, you know, such a downer. Whatever happened to Biafra? We used to cite Biafra in the early <laughs> right. days. Our parents did anyway. Right. Starving children <laughs> everywhere. Eat your mush that I made for you. Um, but the, 
but yeah, I mean, so on the global level, you know, I mean, we, you look at, you know, with the whole GMO thing, it's a classic example. Just like, well, Europe's already done it. And also local versus national. The national debate in America has totally been bought and sold eight times over. So it's not, even, you know, what, what's the real change that's going to happen in D.C.? Just the amount of money that people want to slap around to one another and slide into pockets. And so the the notion that it's democratic is definitely not right. Mm-hmm. But the fact that you have the right to vote and voice opinion in a very real way is also, um, it's an amazing thing. And I think it's something you should be proud about and it's an opportunity that we should all you know utilize well it's a slow-moving animal politics and uh, in this day and age i don't know if we don't necessarily know how much time we have to change things but i think over time things take their natural course and if you look back in history um you'll see that but at any rate it's hard you know when you're talking about the fact that uh, you grew up in political family, it's hard on this day. after yeah, yeah. We've been inundated with political ads oh, yeah. for I, so I long. Keep, <laughs> can't even avoid them. I keep getting asked for mail. like $3 for certain causes, and I'm just like, seriously, it's Tuesday. My $3 is not going to do anything for Yeah, like, well, that's a, but your $3 probably didn't do much months well, yeah, ago anyway. No, totally. Went into the wrong <clears throat> coffers. So, um, so you've recently blossomed. Business has blossomed. You've got Elder Business Hall. This is good. Every yeah. So new t- baby. <laughs> yeah, it's your new baby. How's that going? Uh, it's going well. It's it's um you know it's 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 always slow. It, the conception of something and the execution of something and then the building of something are three different things. So I think people who have the idea of like oh I want to do a restaurant and this is the concept and then I'm going to build it and and then they almost like stop seemingly. Because then, then that's where the work begins. It's like well, coming up with an idea and executing the build out is like nothing. Well, based on what you said, this is a completely different project than Ned Ludd was. It is. Ned like, Ludd was, you fell into it. Yeah. You know, the, this the, is the baseball ran through, smashed through your window, and yeah. what do I do with the ball now? And sure. I got to, f- and this was a, this was a house you built based on what you had. Yeah. And also, door. I mean, you know, we even, <laughs> it's kind of funny. We get, we've been offered restaurants in LA and restaurants in New York and, you know, uh, developers or real estate folk will come up here and be like, man, we've got to get a slice of Portland down there. This is amazing. Can you come down and do something? It's like, no, <laughs> no, no thanks. And just even for me, the idea of doing something outside of, um, you know, doing another project or another restaurant is kind of um, difficult for me to imagine. And people who do it, I, I hats off to them. I don't know how they manage multiple restaurants. And, and, and obviously a lot of the times it's, they have, They've they've built teams in place so that they can make that a reality, and that's awesome. Um, for Ned Ludd, you know, Ned Ludd's just kind of been seat of its pants, figuring itself out and um, running. You know, I ran as general manager, chef, floor manager. You know, I've done everything there in ways sometimes all at the same time, which is not super healthy for the the health of the the staff overall. Um, but we made decisions and did things not with growth in mind and projection in mind. And so the interesting thing is this last year was really the most solidifying year we've had um, structurally. So I have, you know, a beverage manager, I have a floor manager, I have a general manager, and I have a chef de cuisine, and I have a sous chef. And that's the most, like, management people we've ever had. Mm-hmm. And business is better than ever, and things are running smoother than ever. And I'm sort of like, Jesus, so was I really standing in the way of all this, like, you know, <laughs> well, it growth also and could, development? How much of that do you attribute to the economy? Because that's what we're hearing from not not everybody, but a lot of people. I just had lunch uh, with uh, Dave Machado yesterday at El, uh, Nel Centro, which was great, and... Um, and I said, so how's business, you know? And he's like, and, and this is the common theme in town right now. It's just like, man, the doors really opened last spring and they just have not shut. And that is part and parcel of Portland. It's part and parcel of the economy. It's, you know, I mean, people are just coming in droves. Hotels are being built. Obviously buildings are being built galore. So um, there's a very hungry, rabid, you know, fan base out there for lots of different people. And so- um, Coming know, from in and out of town. Totally, too. completely. Yeah. How, much are your, how much of your clientele do you think is- or tourists, people from out of town. Um, it, well, at the height of the season, we know that they're oftentimes sixty to seventy-five percent of the restaurant patrons are from out of town. We so, like to joke that we're like we're huge in Japan and Scandinavia. Right. So national <laughs> press is important to you, of course. Um, but I mean, that, national press is what made us too. We we had a New York Times travel blog written about us in March of '09 that that suddenly even people in Portland were like, whoa, what's this place? You know, cause mm-hmm. we didn't, we didn't, again, we didn't mark, we didn't have money to market and we just kind of opened quietly and 
let's figure out this wood fired oven. So again, that's the whole thing of like opening was not hard. Opening was super affordable and you know, we did it on a, on a dime, but then there's the, then this is the thing they can't even really teach you. I mean, they teach you in culinary school, but it's like, then there's running the business. And Mm -hmm. so for me, it's, you know, it's just much more about business now and, and part of elder hall to kind of, kind of loop this back in elder hall, um, is a business decision for sure. And I would be you know, lying not to say that because we get asked to do a ton of events offsite. We get asked to host parties at Ned Ludd and Ned Ludd's Ned Ludd. It's this cute little quirky, you know, 30 some odd seat restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can't really take doing too much more. We, we push it really hard in the summer just for revenue sake. But you know, um, when we were building elder, they told the staff would be done in July. Cause that's what you know, people told me. And I said, uh, and so I went ahead and booked like the last two weeks of July with like mm. eight of, it was bananas. And so we fed 1,200 people offsite in five days and like 750 people at the restaurant. And it was just, it was like the most bananas we've ever been. But with the kitchen in Elder Hall was not built. So we did it all out of the wood fired oven. Well, what you're used <laughs> to doing. And, that, and you know, you're running crazy all the time, right? Yes. I mean, I don't, I don't see you all the time, but I have an idea. Do you get a chance to stop and, just enjoy, just breathe and mm. smell the roses? No. Not we, at like all. My girlfriend and I have been having huge conversations about this. I mean, I just, I need it now at this point, like physically and mentally. I am, um, I'm, I'm overwhelmed a lot. Um, and it's, you know, it's like parenting and I've got divorced this past year. And, you know, I mean, it's like life, life doesn't really stop. And, and unless you create parameters and boundaries. And for me, like I'm always driving, not because I'm driven, but because I'm really interested in lots of different things. So, I'm like a cat with a piece of yarn, you know, it's just sort of like, what? Oh, this, you know, and <laughs> I'm like, let's play with it this way. Oh, let's do it this way. And, and so with Elder Hall, that was a much bigger thing to take on. And, and while the vision was clear and the aesthetic choices we made and the people that we worked with were amazing that helped us build it. And we did a Kickstarter and we raised 60 K which was amazing. And I have an investor who's amazing. Like I have all these amazing people around me. Um, and yet at the end of the day, it's mine to kind of like push along in the business. And my girlfriend helps tremendously in it, but it's this kind of thing where when I look at it now, um, you know, we have I, now the work has just begun on that. And so now it's going to be just just work for the next, you know, two years to get it like situated and solid. And it's also different because I'm not doing a restaurant. If you if it if it required me to hire staff, write a menu, order food and show up every day and smile and shake hands and, you know, high five staff like that'd be one thing. But it is a different I'm trying to tell a different story and I don't need another another restaurant. But what I do need is sort of this avenue to allow people to get the Ned Ludd experience without, you know, the, the um, impact on Ned Ludd. I need people who want to have our food um, outside of the confines of Portland even have access to that without operationally jeopardizing Ned Ludd. Um, and, and so in order to do that, we, we built this new thing. And I used to teach culinary school, so I'm going to teach again. And I really just think, too, and this could kind of loop back into the politics, like there's a huge amount of just food policy and politics that are so broken and wrong in our country that need to be addressed. And I'm not going to, like, stand on a stump and wave a Democratic or Republican banner to try to get the, the things on the table. Everything's, everything that's wrong with the food system in this country is apparent and in our faces all day, every day. And I think some people are aware of it and sure. some, some aren't. And it, but well, people but, are looking to Portland. To, but they're looking to, yeah, and, and I have this, you know, so great. I, I've gotten, you know, had a lot of press and I've gotten attention and I've done media stuff and, and all that feels really good. I mean, it's, it's not so much... You know, but it's sort of like saying like, okay, well, if you have a certain amount of, um, you know, attention on you, what are you going to do with it? And so I don't, I'm not good on television. I'm not like celebrity chef guy. Are you kidding me? I think you're great. Your Kickstarter, I made the the comment to a few people that you should just hire yourself out to do other people's Kickstarters. I will say that in, I'm horrible at reality TV. How's that? All right. Well, that's I'm that's really good. I, I, wrote, been... I wrote and produced that whole piece for Kickstarter. So if, if I feel like if I have all the creative, I thought you did a great if job. I have the creative control, it can be good, but otherwise it's... So yeah, you've stayed away from all the, the TV shows, correct? I'm sure you've been asked. Uh, yeah, I did one um, that will come out this winter um, that will prove to be not only culinary comedy, um, but uh, a really awesome hysterical Portland story. And so we don't get to know what show that is? Of course not. Oh. I'm well, not asking you if you you'll want know, lost. You'll know soon enough. All right. We'll, but, uh, we'll yeah. find out. And I really, so, pre- yeah, but even having done that, I appreciate people to do that. But 
the celebrity, sh- you know, that's a that's a whole different hustle. And and you know, in this day and age, it's like, what is it to be a chef anyway? Like, what does that mean? What are we talking about? And... Right at the fork is brought to you by Leanne Bach of Living Room Realty. Leanne Bach's years of experience can help you buy or sell in any cycle, including Portland's hot market right now. Work with someone who's in step with the Portland food world, just as you are, and gives back to her community. Just head to leannebach.com. That's L-E-A-N-N-E-B-A-C-H.com. Zupans, unsurpassed quality. From the best meats and wines to local baked goods, fresh flowers, and an extensive craft beer selection. Step into Zupans and be inspired for your next meal. Food-loving customers as well as local chefs know that Zupans is the place to find the very best Northwest Bounty in Portland. West Burnside, Southwest McAdam, and Lake Oswego. Local and family-owned for over 40 years. Zupans Markets. Ristretto Roasters. With five locations throughout Portland, Ristretto Roasters offers some of the finest locally roasted coffee in the city with gorgeous environments and service with big smiles. Let Ristretto make your day better with a cup or two of great coffee or beans to go. And by Portland Food Adventures. Imagine eating your way through Barcelona with Italo's Jose Chesa or Tuscany with Lardo and Grasa's Rick Gincarelli. Join right at the Fork host Chris Angelis with these great chefs in Europe this fall. Get more information under the blog tab at portlandfoodadventures.com where you can contact Chris directly. What is it to be a chef? What does it mean I to you? Anyway. When someone calls themselves, you you mentioned this uh, once when we were sp- speaking. When someone calls himself a chef versus a cook, what is that? What is that for you? <laughs> I think you just act more responsible. <laughs> <laughs> you actually take personal responsibility for your actions in a kitchen. So any cook is not responsible. Then they're, they're, they're by very well. It's nature. this kind of thing where it's like you know you work in enough kitchens and there's all these young comers and I was one of them back in the day where like they walk into a kitchen. And and they'll act like they'll bitch about the sous chef, and and do their job well enough, but not really like assume responsibility f- from a management standpoint because they're not a, a sous chef. Like because they don't have a title, they're just going to do the work that's expected of them. And for all I learned early on in the day is like, what do you want? You want to be a chef? Go get it. Well, it's not going to come find you. You have to go get it. So in every thought, word, and deed that you do from the minute you walk in the door of the restaurant to the minute you leave. Not even punch in, punch out, because I've done many, many hours of free, free labor, because that's what the restaurant did. Like, uh, you know, back in the day, you used to work a eight, you know, ten hour day, twelve hour day, fifteen hour day, and get paid for eight, because that's what. And you not did. a lot for the eight. No, I was making eight twenty, eight twenty yeah, an hour, exactly. you know. Um, but but that that thing of like, there's a personal responsibility of like, what what do you want to be? Like, do you want to be a chef? Act like a chef. Do you want to be a cook? Bitch about everybody else in the restaurant who's not as good as you, and you know, good luck with your career. I mean, and this and this is it's so endemic now. Like, there's so many kids because being a chef is so the thing. So the the longer the more time you spend in the business, do you think you're becoming a little more jaded? Do you um, like it more? Do you like it less? I like it just the same. I like making people happy. I think all the chef like window dressing is it's a little done. Uh, you know, and the other thing is like, I, you know, I, you meet a lot of chefs, you meet a lot of the celebrity chefs. Um, I've met a lot of famous and awesome, amazing, you know, food and wine, James Beardy types. Like you, you get to know all these people and like at the end of the day, like we're all people and everybody's got their bag. Um, I think if you lose sight of why you cook food and if you lose sight of who you really are as a person in the world, then you know, the whole celebrity chef thing is just kind of, you know, it's a, it's a dog and pony show and you're on the hustle. And so you always have to be that person and you always have to act that way and look that way and play this part. And you become like a caricature of yourself and your ego fuels it and people in your fame fuels it. And it's like, it's like celebrity, you know, if, if somebody gets one Oscar and then you never hear of them again, it's probably cause they're not a good actor, but they had a real great moment in the sun. Well, so many of those chefs that are like on the dog and pony hustle, of like all these, all the road shows, all the big food shows, like they have to be that they have to be on. So, and then like, it's that whole thing of like, then you got to go drink and then you got to like, you know, keep up the image that everybody wants to think of. You're like this drinking maniac. I like, always wonder how they have time to actually cook and be in a restaurant when they're doing I all hate of being hung over. Like, you know, it's like, it's the worst <laughs> thing. Like who wants to get shit faced and then have to cook all day? Ugh. You um, probably wouldn't have said that 15 years ago. 
No, I mean, 15 years ago, I had no perspective. You know, I just knew what I wanted. I wanted to be a chef. And, and I come from, I think, too, there's a delineation and we can put a date on it, like 1990-something, um, what it meant to be a chef changed. And it changed forever. Maybe that was TV Food Network. Maybe that was the internet. Um, it's just a totally different ball game. And, and, and look, I mean, here's the thing. Like, it's awesome to be a chef. Why? Because it's 2014. Globally, food has never been as prominent ever, I mean, besides the fact that we all ate it, uh, need it, um, food as an issue, as a political entity, as a, as an entertainment aspect, as you know, people that the internet has blown it up. And so being a chef globally now is different than it was five years ago. Mm-hmm. Five years ago, there was not a proliferation of restaurants and craft cocktail bars and, you know, like even like baristas now are kind of in the chef world and bartenders are kind of in the chef world. So everything kind of gets glommed together, which you can't deny, like, I would be stupid to, you know, like, oh, I hate it. It's bullshit. You know, it's, there's so many good people doing so much good work and really just wanting to please people and blow their minds with flavors and roast the best, most amazing coffee and source the most amazing beans from this most amazing farmer somewhere. You know, like all of that stuff is the story that's being told. Um, and that's what moves it along. People, people are hungry. Like we're so, you know, in the, in the information age, we're all still starving for contact, you know, like, like everybody, we all chase whatever dream we've kind of, you know, formulated in our head of who we want, you know, what we want to do and who we want to be. And there's 10 times more examples out there of what's a good life and what's a cool life and what's a fun life and what's the best product. Is it and a yet, fun life for you? It's uh you just said you don't have a chance. You know, I, I was in Ox. Yeah. Recently, and I asked Greg, I don't remember I was, whether he was going to watch something about the World Series. And he said, you know what? I don't really know any music. I don't know any sports teams. I do this. This right. is what I do. And then I saw, you know, on their trip to get away, they just went to Argentina and Uruguay. Sure. And um, do you get a chance to smell the roses? I mean, you love what you do. Right. But someday you're going to say, you may say. Jeez, I didn't get to sit on the beach as much as I may have wanted to. You know, to. if I, here's the thing, like I moved to Oregon for all these reasons. And the reasons that I moved to Oregon were no matter what I, well, no matter what I what kind of money I made, no matter what I ended up really doing. And I almost wanted to be a winemaker. I was almost like a landscaper. I was almost, you know, I almost, I almost, I, almost, I tried like on several different pairs of shoes. I really moved here to open a restaurant. And when that happened, that was great. But, um, there's there's an aspect of this industry where it's not about the money it's about the lifestyle and so especially for these young kids coming up where it's just like you know you could bitch to me about fifteen dollars an hour um or you could not go out and drink all the time and go out to other restaurants or get on your bike and go to a farm which is bike accessible Mm -hmm. you know like it's like what do you want to do with your life if you want to like sit in bars and bitch about your life well you can do anything and do that. And probably you can go be, you can go on wall street and do that and get paid a shit ton of money mm-hmm. to, you know, whatever, just like while it away. So what do you want to do? What are you interested in? Oregon is, is, is drowning in amazing people doing amazing work. And if you want to understand an amazing food, atmosphere well, and geography, the backdrop is the whole incredible. Thing, the whole thing. Yeah. So, so what do you want to do? And I, I, I know why I moved here. Why'd you move here? Do you move here? Cause it's cool. Did you move here? Cause like Portland's rad and you can, live cheap and all these, you know, whatever. Why do you move here? What do you want to do? And so for me, like, no matter how hard my life is, you know, and I say hard, like I work all the time. Like I'm always Mm -hmm. working at something, whether it's like writing a menu for something or working on staff or, you know, you know, finances, taxes, whatever. It's like, you're always working. But at the same time, like I drive across the 405 bridge and it's sunset and it's like raining over the city and sunny over St. Helens. And like, it's the most epically beautiful restart button. And that's that kind of stuff. Like I moved here for all these reasons. Um, the, what could I do differently now to make my life more beautiful and like make me less stressed and probably healthier? You know, I'm, this, this is the story. There's a great book um, about Delancey um, written by Molly Weisenberg up in Seattle. And it's the story of them opening Delancey and sort of the challenges that it faces doing this in, you know, doing this job and doing this industry. And it's just, it's brutal. There's, there's no two, two ways about it. Like it's just a tough business. Um, and, um, and it was so, there's so much, there's so many great lines in there, but so much of it has to do with like, and I'm, you know, with this woman who, you know, she, she has her own business and she works with me, but also separately. And, and we're challenged by the fact that we live in this 
you know, um, challenging work environment. So, um, so you know, so it's become for us. We, we're going to go to Chicago this week for an event. Um, and that's little, your travel. Yeah, that, my, my little celebrity you, when, chef tour. Yeah, when you're yeah. posting your Instagrams from New York and loving New York, and it's all food oriented. Yeah. And that's what I, the point I was making with Greg and Gabby. They were in South America, same thing. Yeah. Um, but it's a life, and that's the thing. It's, it's like a it's a cool life. life. It's if a cool gonna, life. If and you're going to be working, I went to Fenville, Michigan, and blended cider. Uh, yeah. You know, for two days, I flew there. Two days, flew back, and it was, it, it like totally reinvigorated me. Can you ever see? Because I can't now. I've been here almost ten years. Can you ever see leaving Portland? Um, no. Yeah. Maybe maybe a little little piece of property out in the country, but no. I mean, I. Again, it's still no matter the growth and development. I think is all great. I mean, if you, you know, we. I was joking with someone the other day. Like, if you bitch about the growth and development, all the people moving to Portland, you're clearly not in your. You don't own your own business. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> for those of us who do, it's it's a boon. Um, <clears throat> but no, I mean, I I'd like to get a little bit of country mouse, city mouse. But for me, the the city's just urban enough, and it still has amazing access to wilderness. You know minutes outside the city so i where would i go do you get to the coast much that's my love i love the coast yeah and again talk about a re i mean that's the thing it's like i don't need this lifestyle that we're you know where i get a weekend off i need like moments of being recharged and reinvigorated Mm -hmm. and the coast for me um is that as well it does it for me i think i'm doing too much recharging so um the uh, Prem is going well. Prem is going great. Yeah, those guys are doing a real good job. And that again is like you know it's it's in Ned Blood, but I really I, I shape it and I help vision it. But um, it's cool that people again have taken that sense of pride and ownership. Excuse me over something that that's doing well. So it's good for them. It's not like hey you guys should do this. That sounds awesome. And then it's just trying to figure no, out how to push the rock uphill. So, it's very cool. Yeah, it's been fun. As a matter of fact, Heather and I enjoyed a pizza there. A while ago. It's nice. great. So you're not going to do that in Elder Hall then? We're going to do pasta. So we're going to do pizza and pasta night all, okay. all together. So pasta will come out of Elder Hall. We'll refashion that room to be like um, the old Italian-American halls. So Monday night pasta? Mon- Monday night pasta. Uh, so, you know, it's basically like party up front and Italian in the back. Like, you know, in the sense of just like it'll feel different and uh, won't be like the hip-hop driven. We'll have like Sinatra and Italian folk music going in the back. So I would, I, I, I want to... Ask, uh, I always ask where you like to hang out where, or lately because obviously that changes all the time. I know some of your yeah. favorite spots already. No, well, it's funny because I was compiling my list uh, last night because I know that you had mentioned Heather said, you know, you should think about some of the places. And, it, and it's not that it changes all the time, but um, Portland has an amazing amount of fun places to go eat. And so it's really a <laughs> list that list. where you would tell your friends from that. Cause that's usually yeah. the, the way to think about it is cause on any given night I get asked a lot and sure. I'm sure you do. Where should I go? Right. Well, that's a wide open question. Go but, home and cook something. Well, maybe that, that's <laughs> not, but no, my, if I'm asked by someone from out of town where to get the Portland experience, yeah. that's not necessarily what you need to tell someone in Portland. And I always think about that. With Ned Ludd. Yeah. It's, Ned Ludd is wonderful, but it's not as unusual for people in Portland sure. as it is from, if you tell someone from Florida to go to Ned Ludd, that's going to be. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a, why I think for tourists, we are so, we're almost like, you know, we joke, it's like we're like Portland, more Portlandia than Portland sometimes. Because people it, come in, they're just like, oh my God, this is, it, you like the show? It embodies it. And I always the, say that when I recommend restaurants to people, I'll give them a, you know, pretty good list. I'll say, but if you want the consummate Portland, if you need the Portlandia experience in one fell swoop sure. and go to Ned Ludd. Well, I think the thing, you know, the thing that's exciting about dining now in Portland, um, I think which has been true for a while, is if you want the super, you know, experimental high end, it's there. If you want, you know, really solid, hearty food, it's there. If you want a great sandwich, it's there. Like, And, and it's there kind of in spades. And so at that point, then you're, you know, you're kind of splitting hairs at some point. Um, it's almost hard sometimes to choose where to go out. I, I, that's like you know it's like that's that's the is? more that's it, the bigger question here. For me, it comes down to where you're going to wait the least at some point. Right. So when you get to splitting hairs, it's right. where can I actually get in and not stand there for an hour? Right, especially if waiting. you decide later in the in the day. In the yeah, and right. you can make a reservation at your place, which sure. is great. Yeah. Um, so if you do a little planning, but so what are your favorite places? And then throw some of your favorite pizza spots in there uh, too, because I was, well, it's funny. So lovely fifty fifties is definitely yeah. Um, up there um, just as far as pie and experience goes and I think they do a really good job 
um, Bollywood theater, two locations, and Troy. Um, I think it's really cool to see, you know, a lot of chefs go to other places and get inspired by a place and bring it back and open up that inspired restaurant, which is, you know, a, a very workable concept. And I think it's it's cool that people are, are bringing back pieces of inspiration because those are the places that genuinely feel um, better than trying to do it as a concept, you know. Um, but Troy, you know, to start by going and doing this trip and being inspired by the food from his time in, in Oakland and then to bring it, or in, sorry, in Berkeley, and then to bring it back and then continue to refine it you know like they're making their like they make all their stuff in-house and, mm-hmm. and his point is like oh well i've tried the stuff that is imported here and it's just not as good as what i had there so then he just figures out a way to make so i i think that that there's an ingenuity and a honesty to that that i think is really good and it totally comes across in the food and it's super affordable and that's what i was easy. gonna say it's very approachable <laughs> it's easy you can get in yeah get a nice seat yeah it's in a nice area you can go get stuff afterwards yeah uh, close cousins to Ned Ludd for your kind of breakfast, lunch pleasure, sweetie D. Mm-hmm. Um, I think just, you know, honey pie and a cup of coffee is an amazing way to start any day. Um, the environment and the staff and everything there is, you know, I know, and it's kind of been cool to watch them grow and, and see where they've gotten to. So now you wait, whereas you didn't have to, um, for those sorts of things. But, you know, for lunch, just like sandwich salad, um, and just a real simple, you wait straightforward. At lunch? Sorry. Do you wait at lunch there? Uh, we did not. You know, last we were just there a couple weeks ago. We did not wait at lunch, and we just we had a soup and a salad, and it was and a glass of wine, and it was perfect. Nice. Uh, I just ate at El Centro yesterday. Delicious. Mm-hmm. You know. You know. He I, does a good pizza too. Yeah, I did not have the pizza. I probably should have, but we just talked about Prem, and I didn't want to like get all weird. Um, but no, and I've had a, you know, <laughs> you're not going to get all weird. No. And I've, I've come, I, you know, and I've gotten, I've been here long enough, but you know, Dave, like the Dave Machado's and the, um, Paley's and Greg Higgins and, you know, these guys, the fact that they're all still just open and chugging and running and, and doing great business is so inspiring to me because, you know, the other thing about opening a restaurant is so many people, I think open and sprint mentality. Um, and it's a marathon. It's like an ultra marathon. So you know, if you're just doing this for the quick fix and the quick money to get out, like it's the stupidest business you could get into. But if you yeah, if you really here. genuinely want to make, you know, a uh, you know have a have something to say at the end of your life, you got to be looking at the 20 year plan. You know, easily. Um, and that's kind of the fun part about being in business now. Like we're six years old, and that's the part that feels really good. Is like I thought three years was the hump. Apparently, it was five or six, and so now. And you might find out it's nine. Yeah, okay. okay. That's generally the way. Uh, let's see. Um, uh, yeah, so Cedos uh, for Flawful right by Ned Ludd is amazing. Um, oh, next door. Yeah. Been a few restaurants in that space. There have been, yeah. So these I, guys, I haven't kept up. I think they're holding tough. Yeah, Cedos, really delicious Flawful. Um, La Cochina is a Mexican place that just opened up on MLK right around the corner from us that was in an Ethiopian restaurant. Um, also really good. Uh, love Smallwares. Love Johanna, basically. Mm-hmm. Just think, <laughs> think she's so she's, and I started laughing just because um, whenever I say her name, I'm immediately pushed to this um, experience I had with her where we'd been out and uh, we opened up the back of the van and she fell out on the ground. Um, <laughs> if she listens to this, she, I was she'll know exactly say, what I'm talking it's about. It's funny that you said and it's that. Not, and it's not about it. Uh, that doesn't have to do with inebriation. That just has to do with <laughs> Johanna and the way that. She dealt with that whole thing. It was really magical. But I was going to—I was just about to say, have you noticed that she's much more relaxed lately or just she's got a smile on her face mm-hmm. when she's talking yeah. all the time now? And I didn't see that when she opened a restaurant. She was a little more oh, tighter yeah. and yeah. Uh, and she's enjoying herself now. It's um, yeah. Well, and I think, you know, they had a tough that's a tough neighborhood yeah. um, and they opened, you know, kind of just something that was far different than. I think that market up there would would bear. Um, and it's, it's a, a shame because <laughs> Fife did well there for years. Yeah, but I mean, it just takes time. It just takes well, Smallwares and Fife are you know not cut of the same cloth. Right, but there was a you know a nice restaurant sure. in that neighborhood. Yeah. Everybody yeah. said there that's not a spot for that. Yeah. Uh, Nouvre for breakfast. Have you mm. had their bagel? <laughs> yeah, the like, bagels and uh, and the oh the uh, I had a shrimp croissant sandwich okay. that was just incredible yeah their little shrimp yeah their salads or whatever they put yeah that place for just a i mean in that neighborhood um if i'm over for a meeting or whatever i'll always swing by there and get breakfast um you know uh, aesthetically too i mean that's the other thing in this town we we got away with murder aesthetically um in the beginning because we didn't have to you know we built it all out ourselves and i'm not a carpenter 
Um, many bent nails will indicate that if you take a close look. Um, but, you know, uh, places like Ava Jean's and Woodsman Tavern opening, um, you know, Woodsman, I think, really opened um, needing to find itself a little bit, and it now has. And um, we're actually talking, we're excited to go back in there. We haven't been in in a couple of months, but just aesthetically, Ava Jean's and obviously the food at Ava and Jean's Roman is Candle great. Too. And Roman Candle, just the feel of it. Yeah. It's like big city in little Portland and having grown up in you know Manhattan and stuff, I do have a certain proclivity towards nice surroundings and you can't deny when something's done really well. And, and it's not just about like, whoa, look at all the money they put in here. It's like someone really wanted to create a beautiful environment and mm-hmm. that to me can carry so much for an experience. And that's why... You know, people always used to joke about carts, you know, when there's a big cart boom here. I'm like, oh, so, you know, do you feel like carts are going to really cut in on business? And I was just like, no. And they're like, why? It's like, because who's going to eat a sandwich standing out in the rain? It's <laughs> just like, we live in a really well, rainy climate. a few people do. No, not, no, no. Not, not, a, not enough to no, keep them But that's, really... that's my thing, just like as far as it hurting business, like the experience you get from a cart. And, you know, yes, both serve food. But to me, like, you know, the difference between right. a restaurant and a cart is just like you get a you get a, an experience with Exactly. Um, uh, I would also be remiss uh, not to mention um, Olympic provisions. I think just for simplicity, uh, Navarre again. Um, we had a really nice, you know, nice to see Kevin doing well at Davenport. Like those, you know, when yeah, I when I do spot. when I think about food and I think about things I want to eat, it is very much like the simple, straightforward meals. And so, listen, I wanted to ask you. We initially. Uh, Wanted to talk to you a little bit about the Truffle Festival. Yes. What are you doing with the Oregon Truffle Festival, which this year is uh, mm. expanding from Eugene up to this area? Yeah. So you're a big part of that. We're going to do uh, a dinner at Elder Hall, um, and uh, it'll probably be pretty truffle-inspired. Um, probably. And, it's probably uh, a good idea at a Truffle Festival. Yeah. And <clears throat> I think we're still kind of figuring out the format of it, but it'll be a dinner with us, you know, and we'll probably put some truffle dishes on Ned Ludd's menu as well and kind of host a dinner for people to see, but expand the truffleosity um, through the whole building. Um, but we really want to, um, you know, we were talking earlier. It's a, it's an amazing festival and it's such a broad reaching public that come to it. And I think I've done the last, excuse me, three years down in Eugene. Um, and, there's something about kind of gathering around, you know, this, this focused, um, ingredient, which is, which is really inspiring, um, to see the enthusiasm and sort of the obsession. Cause I think truffles like, like anything that's a niche, you know, like you're not going to see truffles shaved over the plates of, you know, Midwestern lunches necessarily. <laughs> it's definitely like a What's niche. This? It's like an, it's a niche market and it's a very, um, you know, it's again in, in the, typical French or Italian parlance, it's like, it's a, you know, it's a high end item, um, and super expensive, but there's an aspect to it, um, that is addictive. Like there's the smell and, you know, the, the experience of a truffle, um, is unlike anything else culinarily speaking. And I think that that's something that really captures the imagination, especially if you're super food inclined and, um, you know, like restaurants and like dining, there's, you know, fine restaurants that just do truffle dinners. And, you know, I, I was down at SPQR in San Francisco and my buddy Matt Acarino sent um, this nice young woman out to shave some truffles on our pasta. And she started shaving and she kept shaving and kept shaving. And then she went away and I was like, wow, thank you so much. And people are all kind of aghast at the bar because it, the aroma kicked off the pasta and there's this huge fluffy white pillow of, you know, Alba truffles sitting on top and then she came back a minute later and was like, oh, chef has requested that I shave some more truffles on your pasta. And, we're just <laughs> like, ah. um, and, it, and it is, it's like hedonistic, you know, at that level because, you, you know, we all know how much they cost. Um, so it's exciting to see that, that, that both in the cultivation and a lot of the push that's been done for the cultivation of, of truffles and the fact that it's a naturally occurring thing in Oregon, I think just sells the Oregon story a lot more. And we were talking about how it's woven very beautifully into the natural, you know, kind of vision of what Oregon's all about anyway. So whether it's wine and hazelnuts and salmon and, and all the sort of like the bounty of the land here, um, they fit really seamlessly into it. And I know it's sort of a young upstart, uh, industry. Um, and when I was speaking with someone about it last year, I, I was remiss at wanting it to be called like, you know, a truffle, like an industry for Oregon because it's, it is specialty and it should be special and it requires lots of education and lots of um, you know, knowledge and experience to be a hunter. Um, and so I got, you know, I, I think it's, um, it's something where I don't want to see it become something that everybody's doing because 
it's it's just it's a special thing and so it should be kind of regarded as a special item and you know it's one thing if you know i've i've paid money for truffles from france and from italy in the past and they're always super expensive and you always get super high quality um especially you know but it all depends on who your source is and you know in come truffle season people will walk into the restaurant with like you know a bag full of super underdeveloped underripe truffles and be like hey and i'm selling them for you know 100 bucks a pound or whatever <laughs> it's just like you got to be kidding me like you don't even have the information and knowledge you you've glommed onto this word and this concept um so that's the thing of just i i the i the the truffle festival is a celebration of this product and it's a high-end product but at the same time they are training people to understand like what the product is and how the what what quality is because that's really go- what's going to move it forward as a product from Oregon um, and otherwise it's just going to be this thing that you know grows out in some places that people go get well I also think it, it uh, the the festival allows you to be involved with it on a number of different levels you yeah. can just enjoy it and eat eat, eat truffle dishes yeah um, there's dog training sure um, that's my favorite part is actually right. shop and there's all these dog kennel trucks you know, so you you can learn as much as you want at the festival yeah. so uh, uh, we'll talk about that a little bit in a minute, but I appreciate your yeah. your doing that. Um, anything else that you can think of that people in Portland should be thinking about as we go into the holiday season, in terms of food? Um, classes at Elder Hall—that's what you should be thinking about. Oh. Now we're offering a handful of classes um, between now and, and the holidays, kind of primers for Thanksgiving and primers for your holiday larder, um, which is kind of fun, just condiment-wise and larder-wise, the things that kind of help make. The food on the table take a different twist and turn um, on your palate. Um, so, but also just thinking about you know really planning. I think is one of the things that people always there's like last minute holiday feasts don't ever really go well. And so being inspired by an idea or being inspired by a dish or being inspired by another culture and bringing all of that to the table and working with people. And you know I always kind of used to watch my mom go bananas trying to pull it all together. Right? I had an, a favorite uncle. We'd go to his house a couple times for Thanksgiving and it was all on him to make it all happen. And he was just bananas by the end of it. And so many hands make light work and it's the same concept as a restaurant. And you're, while you may not be running the restaurant style ship at home, you know, make, make it a potluck if people are coming over. Don't feel like don't don't make the holidays more pressured than they already are in a sense and so kind of starting to gather the community of people that you're going to have at your table and really engaging them into like what do we want this to be and and setting some you know getting some inspiration behind the day um, I think always lends itself to a much more special and memorable experience and then just doing the work of organizing and pre-planning and prepping and all that stuff ahead of time so you know, on the day of the event, you actually just get to enjoy life a little bit. Uh, my, one of my favorite Thanksgivings ever was a few years ago. My cousin is in San Francisco, and he's in the uh, he's got a, a business called Bacon Bacon down mm-hmm. there, and so he's worked in the food industry. And he, for a few years, has had a Thanksgiving for kind of misfits, people who don't have family in th- in sure. San Francisco from elsewhere. Yeah, and so he invited us down, and having. A Thanksgiving where everybody who's really there are a lot of great cooks and chefs involved, bringing over their favorite stuff and and the the party yeah. was absolutely way more fun than anything I can do anything I ever did with my family. Sure. Although he's family, but he was a part of it and he just relinquished his kitchen. Right, he wasn't even in the kitchen, right. and uh, it was pretty cool. Yeah. So I mean, you know, I, I've learned to um, let go and stop being such a control freak. At, the restaurant. Can and, you do that when someone's <laughs> cooking something, doing something the wrong way? Do you? Well, there's you, relinquishing control, and then there's just being blind. I mean, uh, hopefully, well, yeah. So relinquishing control, not being on top of everything all the time, but yeah, even in you know, if we're if cooking is expression, and someone has an expression, I mean, it's one thing like to let somebody cook something that you know is not going to taste as good as it could, and you're, then you're offering guidance, but just um, yeah, putting people in place and letting them you know, giving them expectations and giving them, I mean, as a chef, you know, we're control freaks and that's, we, we, that's what we ultimately get paid to do. And, uh, when you learn to relinquish the control that you think you have to have, um, a lot that's of, a lot of times the people around you end up doing better and feeling better about themselves. And, and so that's, that's when you're going to get your time off at some point when yeah. you can really relinquish that yeah. control. Yeah. Until Seriously. then it's all a bunch of working vacations. <laughs> Great. Well, listen, I, uh, appreciate you being so frank. Sure. Pleasure. Right, Frank. Frank, can all, I call you Frank? You from, can. 
Frank I French. I don't know if I can do that, but, that, but it sounds good. I like or French just French. French. French is good. Chef. Yeah. Yeah, you like French better. Yeah. All right. Thanks, French. <laughs> Pleasure. Nice to see you, Chris. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Intro music by Ariel Varinas. Find links to her music in the show notes section. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com. <laughs>